Okay, so anyways, follow along with me as I'll begin this morning by reading Exodus 14, 5 through 7, 10 through 14, and then 21 through 29. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people. And they said, What have we done, letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 he took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to, to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry wind, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its moral depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start out with the story this morning, but before we even get to the story I'm going to share, I've got to preface this passage. In our 21st century mindset, this passage can easily, you can get distracted by this passage, because it's fairly violent if you look at it. It's fairly like not concerned with the Egyptians and their pending death, and yes, they all die with Pharaoh. And yet sometimes we can get focused in on that. Why? Why is this? Why is that? So let me preface this by saying this is a story not about the Egyptians. This story has nothing to do with the Egyptians. They're a piece of it, but they are not the story. Sometimes, again, we can get bogged down with thinking this is about the Egyptians. It's not. This is a story of the Israelites. This is a story of Moses. We'll look at that in a second. See, we sometimes come from a place of power when we look at passages in the Old Testament like that. We have a lot of abilities here as 21st century 
Western Americans, we come from a place of power and how, how we view a lot of Old Testament scripture and the Bible in general. But see, these people and the writers of the story a few centuries later, they came from a place very different than ours, a place of enslavement, right? And so you speak about stories in a certain way when you your only goal is freedom, is to get out of the people that are trying to enslave you. So although the story is not about the Egyptians, we have to remember that for the Israelites and for the people that wrote down these stories a few centuries later, this was something much more. It wasn't just about violence that was going to be created and the death that was pending for these Egyptians. It was about their freedom. And so it's how we begin to view this passage. One of the is that if you're like me, and sometimes you get bogged down with looking at that part of it. So I want to tell you a story. Have you ever been to an honesty shop? Is that ever, anybody raise their hand at honesty shop? I got to go to one of these in Switzerland, Chelsea and I, this time last week. We're actually probably at this honesty shop. It's in a little bitty village in, um, I don't know, in the mountains in Switzerland. And it's an honesty shop. And oh, Josh has been there. No, okay. yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. You walk in, there's nobody working there. They have antiques, they have souvenirs, they have t shirts. They even have like bottled sodas right there for you. And nobody else is around. Like, like nobody's there. You could easily just fill up your bags. Hey, let's, let's go. I'm never coming back here again. I'm a tourist. This whole town is for tourists. This isn't just a, a town where this shop is for souvenirs. And yet, the people completely trusted these tourists from across the entire world. One tourist could wipe them out completely, and yet their doors are always open. Well, fast forward like 100 meters away, there's this another house we visited. People were home, but they had a sign, a big sign that says, meat, cheeses, and eggs. Come on in. We literally, Chelsea and I, walked into their basement. Nobody's home. We're like, this is kind of weird. And they said, here, this is our refrigerator where we keep this. Here's our money box. Here's the prices. Here you go. And literally, you open up the money box, and there's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And somebody could easily just take all this and keep walking on. And you also got to think, this is their house. It's the basement of their house. They have furniture around, but yet they trusted people. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Side note, they don't do they don't lock their bikes in Switzerland either, like we do in the United States. Thousands of bikes, no bike locks anywhere. It taught me a lot about trust in a few days we were there. Why does a people, why does an individual, why does a household, why does a city trust so much? Why do I have such a hard time with trust? Well, probably the same thing with you. We've been burned, haven't we? We've been burned by people, we've been burned by situations. So I want to look at this passage a little bit closer. I want to reread, like I said, certain parts. I want to reread verses 11 and 12. Right now. They said to Moses, this is Israel, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you had taken us away to die in the wilderness? They don't trust. They see these Egyptians coming from them. That wasn't supposed to happen. They've already fled. They weren't supposed to follow them, right? It wasn't supposed to happen. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone. 
Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Quick side point. For the Israelite people, this is the worst possible thing for happen to be slaughtered where you were out in the middle of nowhere. At least in their culture and the history of the Israelite people, when you died, you were buried in certain areas and kind of your lineage carried on with kind of where your resting place was. That's why Abraham paid so much for the field that Sarah would be buried in because it was just something special that he would know, hey, this is where it's at, right? This is why it's so important. So the worst thing possible for these Israelites is not just to die, but to die in a place they knew nothing was, and to basically disappear, to be eradicated from memory, from everything. So that's what they were concerned about. But they were fearful, right? It's so easy also, it's easy to be stagnant to be okay with where we're at, just like the people were. Let me go back. Let me go back to what we know, even if that's enslavement. Sometimes we don't want to upset anyone. So we just allow the unjust to happen around us, right? We feel led to try something new, maybe to interact with somebody new, to greet a new neighbor, but we don't. Why? Because we're satisfied with staying. We're satisfied with sitting. We're satisfied with being where we're at. Now, don't get me wrong, there are many times in Scripture we're called to be, like Psalm 46, we're called to be still, right? We're called to stop. We're called to be silent and pray. Yes, that happens a lot. But I wonder how many of those times we use that as an excuse for not continually being challenged in our own faith. So this is important, not only for the college student who make, you know, makes the excuse, not you, because you are here at church, that chapel is my church, right? You know people like that. Or Bedside Baptist is my church. Um, or the person who's older that may use an excuse, I'm too old to, and then insert, whatever it may be. If God is calling us to something, do we truly believe he will empower us and strengthen us to do what he's called us to do? Part of this discernment is personal and communal. Right? So if you felt like, oh yeah, God wants me to do 50,000 things, hopefully your community, your friends can you know, help you take a step back and say, whoa, 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 let's take it one thing at a time. I understand this for sure. But it's important to realize that God does not want us to stay where we're at in our spiritual journeys. God didn't want the Israelite people to stay enslaved forever. That is not, even though that's what they wanted at the moment, they were fearful. They didn't want to trust. What does this look like? By the way, they're at this point where they see the big sea in front of them, and they see the Egyptians coming at them. What do they do? They didn't think at all possible that a party would be happening over us. I mentioned earlier, and um, if you were in here during our prayer and sharing, that um, one of my first mentors in ministry, a man named Jason King, passed away this week. He battled um, pancreatic cancer for um, six weeks. Since his diagnosis and passed away. A man that was 44 years old, he's a pastor at the Goodlesville Church in Nazareth. Like I said, Chelsea and I served for three years with him. And I thought a lot as I was reading this passage and a lot of my own faith journey. And where I was at 10 years ago was someplace much different than where I am at today. Hopefully, I'll be somewhere much different in 10 years than I am right now. But I remember Jason challenging me with concepts and thoughts that I had never even heard of. 
concepts like social justice. I think I ever first heard that phrase from Jason. So I grew up in a, it was a great church home, but it was in the deep south. And some of the own maybe misconceptions were kind of true in how I grew up. I never got to experience things like social justice in terms of um, maybe people picking themselves from their picking maybe people picking themselves up by their own bootstraps doesn't always work, right? That's not always the reason why somebody's homeless or downtrodden. Maybe it's just, maybe it's not simply they just didn't want to do that. I just kind of taught that, right? Jason taught me a lot about compassion and not just sympathy. But what does it mean for Christ-like empathy to happen? He was kind of helped me form and shape. He helped me in that understanding uh, early on. So Jason passed away this week. So I've been reflecting a lot on that this week and with this passage. But these Israelite people had a choice, right? They were at a crossroads. Do we continue to go on or do we stop? Now this next part, I'm going to read here, verses 13 and 14. And unless we closely read this, this is something very easily we could miss. I'll show you why in a second. Verse 13 and 14 says, But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Now we get to trust. Now we're going to look at Moses here for a second and kind of the trust factor with him. This this part's fairly straightforward again as, as we look at it. Moses is telling actually the people to stand firm where they are. He's made a bold proclamation. But even though this isn't a part of our passage, I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 for you. The verses right after this. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, immediately following, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. And then verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Did you catch that there? Moses makes this declaration. God tells Moses to do something different. We miss this, though, because it's not a great drama. There's not a lot of controversy here. There's no pushback from Moses. Moses simply does exactly what God tells him to do. I can't help but think that in this instance, Moses had to be 100% trusting in God. Because again, he's saying, declaring to everybody, as they're coming, stand firm, everybody. This is what scripture tells us. And then literally God said, no, 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 no. Enough standing firm. We must push ahead. So he's got to not standing firm, everybody. Let's push forward. It takes a lot from Moses to do at the time. But that's what he does. If I'm Moses, I might be thinking that maybe if we stand here, the Egyptians will be swallowed up. Maybe the pillar of fire will consume them. But that's not God's plan, right? God tells him, you know, let's push forward. So a lot of times when we think of this story, right, the crossing of the Red Sea, I have a mental image when I was probably in children's church. Do you guys see that mental image when you close your eyes, you see a certain picture of what this crossing of the Red Sea looks like? 
I, here's how I imagine it for a second. That the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea, but if the seas are automatically parted all at once, bam, right? And it's, it's the middle of the day, right? And the, Israel, the Egyptians are just past them, and just when they get across the sea, right, the Egyptians are just barely in the sea, and then it comes together, and they're toast, right? Maybe you have a similar concept. Maybe you have a correct concept. <laughs> I want to actually look at this a little closer. And this is where I'm going to ask your imaginations to work with me here. Because we don't have water. We have a very limited space. But I did ask a few people to help me out this morning. So we have a few actors this morning. I'm going to read back. And I told you we're going to read a little bit more scripture today. This passage, a little slower. And I want you to kind of see how this gets played out. So we have our Israelites and Moses. So that's going to be David, Shannon, and James have decided. And I want you guys to be uh, around where Melanie's at right here. We also have the angel of the Lord with the pillar of cloud with us. That's going to be Ben. Ben's going to be the angel of the Lord this morning. You're going to start out in front, right? Just, just right in front of you there. And then we have our Egyptians, um, our ill-fated Egyptians this morning. We're going to start way back near, near Alyssa and Bernard. Okay, why don't you guys start, maybe a little further back there. A little, a little too close there. So I'm going to read this, and as I read this slowly, I want you to kind of imagine and see what's happening here. And again, you got to use your imagination here, for sure. I'm going to start out in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to move forward. Move forward. <laughs> Israelites are moving forward a little bit. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. But the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. He's, he's saying, you know, the Lord is kind of telling. No, you're just you're the angel. You're just kind of being told right now, Moses, right? Yeah. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. What does it look like to have a hardened hearts? Yeah. <laughs> so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and his chariot drivers. You're all of those, that Pharaoh. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of God, that's Ben over here, the angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army. So you were initially, you were going before them, leading them. The angel of God, the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. So, according to scripture, the angel of the Lord is now going behind. Okay, and the pillar of cloud, kind of one and the same here, moved from in front of them and took its place behind them as well. He's kind of both here. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. So you're going to stand in between them right there. And so the cloud was there with the darkness. We had some darkness. And it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Now I want to stop right here for a second. Now this makes sense if you think about it, right? Then over here is our, our, our angel of the Lord. The... The brightness of this shines so much that if you ever, if the sun is behind you, right, and you're walking along, you can see what's in front of you a lot clearer when it's actually sunny outside, right? Or um, 
But if you're the Egyptians in this case, and you're walking toward the sun, you're like no driving, and the sun is right in your face. It is so hard to drive. It's so hard to like look at the stoplight. You're like, is that red or green? Let me go slower. It's hard to do. So I can't help but think that it's a possibility that then right here, the angel of the Lord is guiding both the Israelite people, giving them light as they're pushing forward, right, into the unknown. Now, with that said, that's a lot of trust that has to happen here, for sure. But that the light is guiding them. It's also preventing the Egyptians, as Scripture says, from getting closer because they can't see anything. Like, where are we going to? Because it's blinding them. Everybody, does that kind of make sense there? At least it talks about that in Scripture. And it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Okay, so verse 21. Then Moses, you've been told this, now you can actually do it. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And our sea is going to be kind of right here. Why not? You, okay. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. You catch this. It didn't happen all at once. It was being driven back all night. Not just bam. And turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea, slowly going to the sea there, on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them. Maybe I should have people. <laughs> um, after them, uh, forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued. So you're, you're coming up behind. And went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses. All of Pharaoh's horses. Chariots and chariot drivers. At the morning watch. Now, the morning watch, by the way, is the Israelite people had three times of the night. The morning watch, as we get translated, is like still complete darkness. It's just like the last part of the night. It's not the morning yet. Right? So if you guys get up and run at 4.30 in the morning, that's what it would be. At the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army <laughs> and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us free from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. There you go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. So that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. Sorry, guys. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right. Okay. I'm going to mention one other thing here. Does it say the Israelites had made it all the way through the sea before this happened? No. Even more trusting. They weren't yet safe on the other side. It just so happened, it sounds like, according to Scripture here, the Israelites continued to walk on dry ground through the sea, but a portion of the sea had been taken up by the... Wow, what trust. It's not like they were already... We're on dry ground over here. We're good, right? And they watch it. That's kind of the mental image I have, right? 
No, they see their adversary in the steps they just walked, in the steps that they are now in. It's a lot of trust, right? And they just got swallowed up. They were they were not yet saved. So I want to turn back from Moses's quick trust, right, in the Lord, back to the Israelites again, back to the fleeing Israelite people. And I'm going to tell you a Jewish parable that, as I was doing some research, I found, and this might make sense to you. This is a Jewish parable told um, from the time of what, what I discovered, even before Christ came on us, that a Jewish man and his son went for a hike. And the, the son was a young boy, and the, the man knew these woods where they were hiking very well. And so as they were traveling, the man saw off of in a distance what seemed to look like a thief, somebody who might come up and try to take what they were holding, what they were carrying. So the man immediately put the son behind him and continued on, tried to look bigger maybe than he was, and the thief kept his distance. Again, the son was right behind him. The father was protecting him. Well, as they kept going through the woods, the father heard some things in the distance. He looked over. He saw a wolf coming up from behind them. So he took his son. He put his son in front of him so that the wolf saw him, not the small child, and the wolf kept its distance. Well, then all of a sudden, as they were nearing the end of their journey, they noticed the thief and the wolf were still there, and they were beginning to close in a little bit as they saw the boy this time. So this time, the father put the boy on his shoulders to keep him safe. And the thief and the wolf kept their distance. This was a parable shared by people, uh, by Jewish people, to talk about God's um, God putting trust in God. That sometimes, even in the confusion, right? Do you think the Israelites were confused at this moment? Yeah, I think so for sure. What are we doing? Wait, we're standing, no, we're going. But they trusted. This boy had full trust and full faith in his father to guide him because his dad knew these woods. Same thing with us, right? We are to trust in God. Even though we may not know where we're going, God does provide. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Trusting in God doesn't guarantee a life of wealth, health, and happiness. We know that. Trusting in God may actually bring the exact opposite, to be honest. Trusting in God pushes us closer to him, though, and farther away from our sinful, carnal self. You catch that? It's not that it guarantees safety and like a physical safety. What it does is it pushes us further from our own sinful self. See, sometimes what God calls us to is confusing, and we'd rather go back. And many times that going back is fueled by our own control. And wanting to put our trust in ourselves instead of dying to oneself, as Scripture calls us to. The faith journey, to be honest, it's one step at a time, but it's never about being stagnant. It's never about staying where you are. It's about trusting in God that whatever He is calling you to, whatever He's challenging you with, whatever He's prompting our hearts and minds about, that he wants us to faithfully step forward to uncertainty, maybe, to physical protection and security, eh, probably not, but to a life lived fully 
for him and not in our control? Yes. So the Israelites had to choose if they were going to be okay with slavery and death, or if they wanted to pursue the freedom that did await them, even in its uncertainty and confusion. Ultimately, even though they complained, and we kind of know the rest of the story, they did follow Moses at this moment, who also had to immediately choose to trust and to obey and turn 180 degrees at that moment and follow God's order and not his own. Wrapping up here this morning. So five years from now, or or how about five months from now, or five weeks from now, do you want to be in the exact place you are now? College student, one year from now, do you want to be in the same exact understanding and amount of passion you have for your major or for what you're learning? Probably not. You Hopefully, in a year from now, you want to have a greater understanding of whatever you're pursuing. God does not, God does not want this fear. What lies in front of us may be unknown and isn't and is and doesn't provide any guarantees of worldly happiness, as we so often see in our, in our world. But God does promise that He will be with us as He has gone before us. The choice is simple, yet it's the most difficult. It's simple. But it's the most difficult. We have a choice. Trust God. Trust ourselves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for for your word. We thank you for the stories of your people. That you brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of the grips of the Pharaoh and his armies. That you delivered them. Lord, they didn't come without maybe some confusion or fear. Lord, thank you for doing that so many centuries ago. Lord, even in our lives now. Help us to have that same trust in you. Not a guarantee well-felt and happiness trust, but a trust that we are going to choose you over ourselves. But thank you for always being with us and the promise that you make of walking with us. Love you.